All right, we have got special guest ministry with us today, which is a real great blessing for me. A good friend of mine over the last probably 20 plus years, I would think, has spoken here in the church and numbers of times, always been a, a wonderful blessing to us. He's the International Director of World Outreach, which is a missions organization with missionaries all across the globe, fulfilling the greatest cause on planet Earth, the Great Commission. And uh, we were together in Egypt uh, very recently, uh, spoke at a conference there, and just had a, a wonderful, wonderful time. And so why don't we give a really warm Church Unlimited welcome to Bruce Hills as he comes and shares with from God's Word with us this morning. Good morning, everybody. Great to be back here again. Uh, the last time I was at your church was November 2017. So I'll try and preach a better message today. Otherwise, I'll be back here in 2027. Um, so pray that it'll be a great message so that your pastor, my friend, will, will, will invite me back before the next five, five years or so. Great. It is a real honor for, for me to be here. And I very, feel very humbled to be able to bring God's word today um, also. Now, as you know, uh, Melbourne, the place where I live, had the second longest lockdown in the world. Uh, number one was London. Number two was, uh, was us here in, in Melbourne. And for two years, all I did was preach to a camera uh, where I would be invited to preach at a church. I would set up the camera. I would preach to that. And I'd, I'd pray with the, you know, preach with all my heart. But it's it's different. It's different preaching to a camera than it is, is to people. And the only thing that ever listened to me was my dog. And often what would happen is I'd be in the middle of preaching about the love and the grace of God. And all of a sudden the dog would see a bird fly past on the outside and would start to bark. And so I've got all of these clips of me preaching about God's love then going, oh, shut up, you stupid dog. There. <laughs> And so I'm hoping they never end up on the internet or I think my ministry will be over by that point uh, also. But I've, I've got a message upon my heart today I really want to share. And I've got five years of bent up words ready to go uh, to share, share this morning. The original idea for this message today come from a devotion I heard from a very uh, great British Bible teacher by the name of John Phillips. So if anything sounds really intelligent and insightful in Revelation... That's John Phillips. If anything sounds, I heard it all before, that's me uh, also. And my message today is part sermon, it is part prophecy, and it is part prayer. And the question I want to ask today is, well, what is the house of God? As you would know, all across the world today, post-COVID, there has been a massive shift in people's attendance pattern. Some people have not come back to church. Other people have gone to other churches. Other people prefer it to watch it in their slippers, drinking their coffee at home also. So we have to ask the question, well, what is the house of God? God has always wanted to live with His people. God longs to be with His people and for His people to long to be with Him. And in the Old Testament, we read of God meeting with His people in firstly a garden and then a tabernacle and then a temple. But when Jesus came along, He revolutionized everything so that now by the Holy Spirit, we can meet with God anywhere, anytime. And God meets with his people in his house. But I ask again, 
But what is the house of God? Or what did God intend his house to be? And we find the answers to that question in my text today, which is found in Genesis chapter 28. And I'll be reading to you from the story that transpires from verse number 10 through to verse number 22. And the reason is, this is the first reference in the Bible to the phrase, house of God. So when something is first mentioned in Scripture, it is often important of what God intended, not what, what, what happened eventually, but what God intended. For example, in marriage, the first reference to marriage is one man, one woman before the Lord. That's what God intended. But in time, there was one man with many wives. And there's a sermon there, but I'm not going there. So what I want to do is just read this text and unpack this text and to, to teach us well, what is the house of God. But let me first of all paint the, the background or to give the, the context. Jacob had capitalized on his older brother's Esau's weakness and deceived him out of his birthright. And then in conspiracy with his mother, Jacob deceived his father Isaac into receiving Esau's blessing as the firstborn son. Consequently, Esau was fueled by bitterness and intended to kill Jacob. So, following his mother's advice and with his father's blessing, Jacob set out from Beersheba to go and visit Uncle, Uncle Laban in Haran. And Jacob reached a certain place to rest, which he would later call Bethel, not realizing he was about to have a dream in which he would have an encounter with God. And it was during this revelation of God that he had a revelation of the house of God. Allow me to read it to you, starting at verse number 10. Jacob left Bebesheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. The first reference to the phrase, house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then and the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tent. So the first reference in the Bible to the phrase house of God 
and it's a stone. And all I can say is what a strange house. So the title of my message today and the question we're asking is, well, what is the house of God? What is the house of God? Number one, the house of God is any place where we meet with God and God meets with us. The house of God is any place where we meet with God and God meets with us. So Jacob is in a desert using a rock as a pillow and yet he said, oh, this is none other than the house of God. Now importantly, it wasn't actually the geographical place so much as what happened in that place. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway ascending all the way to heaven. And he had this vision of God. And it says that the Lord spoke and said, There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. So it wasn't the place per se, but it was the place where God met with him and he met with God. Obviously, the house of God is not necessarily a building, but any place where we meet with God and God meets with us. And so any and every time we gather together in the name of God, we constitute the house of God. The gathering of God's people is the house of God. And it doesn't matter where we meet. It doesn't matter how few. It doesn't matter how many. When we do so, it forms the house of God. And sometimes we need to align our thinking with the Word of God. It's not that we go to church. It's that the church comes together. If I was to say, say this morning, hello church, did you have a great sleep, sleep last night? Did you watch the rugby because you finally won? You know, I'm, I'm not talking to the walls, I'm talking to you. Although if the walls are talking to you, come and have a talk to me at the end of the service and we will pray. We thank God for this magnificent building that God has given you. But these four walls are not the church, not the house of God. But it's when we come together in His name to meet with Him and for Him to meet with us, that is the house of God. And even though we meet in this magnificent building today, and even though there are great sound systems and great music and technology and incredible screen, I want in my house to watch the football. May we remember that this building and all the things in it do not constitute the house of God. Why? Because the house of God is not necessarily a geographical place, but any place where God's people come together and they meet with Him and He meets with, with, with them. And it could be in your life group. It could be in a cathedral, as it is in many parts of the world. It may be under a tree. Whenever we are meeting with God and God meets with us, that is the house of God. And I want to encourage you to have an openness to His wonderful presence presence. The most powerful experience I have ever had with God was in a car. Many, many years ago, a friend and I were ministering at a children's camp and he had a cassette. Anybody remember them? And he had a cassette on of worship music. And we were singing along and we started to worship the Lord and, and we were just pouring out our heart to God. And suddenly the glory of the Lord just filled that car. And I want to say, friends, on that day, that car was the house of God because we were meeting with him and he was meeting with us and he was touching our life and it was absolutely powerful. I'm just so glad he didn't close his eyes while, while he was driving. 
And remembering also that in a New, New Testament sense, you are the house of God. You are the temple of God. When you gave your life to Jesus, Jesus came and made his home inside of you through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And Paul also taught that we corporately form the new temple of God, that God no longer lives in buildings made of stone. He lives within us. And because of the cross and the resurrection and because of the Spirit's indwelling presence, we can meet with God anywhere at any time. So what is this great building that God has given you? It is not a monument. It is an instrument. It is a boat from which we fish, not in which we fish. This, this, this great building that God has given you is a place to meet with God, is a place to meet with one another. It's a place to be encouraged. It's a place to be refreshed. It's a place to be equipped. It's a place to receive empowerment that we may be a witness for Jesus. Remembering also, the early church did not have, have permanent buildings for 400 years until the time of Constantine. And yet they turned, turned the world upside down. On the morning of the day of Pentecost, they had 120 people. But by the end of the day, they had 3,120 people. And then the Bible says the Lord added daily to their number. And within a short time, their number grew to 5,000 people. And then it says that their numbers increased rapidly. And this was before they ever had a building to meet in. And all I can say today, friends, with all that God has given us, how much more should we be expecting God to do in, in our lives? So if the house of God is not necessarily a building, well, what is the house of God? And this is where we change gears. Number two, the house of God is a place of revelation. The house of God is a place of of revelation. But a revelation of what? What did Jacob receive a revelation of? Well, he received a revelation of the presence of God. And the house of God is the place where the Lord reveals his presence. Verse 16 of our text reads, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. Jacob had a revelation of the presence of God. And this is my prayer over you today. Let everyone who attends the gatherings of this church, whether large or small, formal or informal, may they say, having met with these people, God is in this place. May the small groups and the life groups and the kids ministry and the Sunday services be satisfied saturated in the presence of God. May the reaction of every unconverted person that engages with this church in any shape or form say, God is in this place. And even though you have great ministries and programs and systems and songs, whatever other impressions people may have, may their dominant reality be, God is in this place. And this only comes through worship and praise. Worship and praise like you had this morning that touches God and brings a sense of His presence. Worship and praise that brings a sense of the glory of God. Because when the manifest presence of the Lord fills the gathering of His people, there is revelation, there is encounter, there is intimacy with God. And may worship and praise characterize this house of God. But more than just a place of the revelation of God, 
God's presence. The house of God is also a place of the revelation of the person of Jesus. There was a stairway in, in Jacob's dream that went all the way from earth, all the way, the way, way to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. And the, sta- or the stairway or the ladder reached all the way from where Jacob was all the way to heaven. And we have to wait hundreds of years to, to understand the meaning of the stairway. And to do so, I need to transport you into John chapter 1. And in verse number 47, it reads there, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. So Jesus knew everything about him. Verse number 48, How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Jesus not only knew who he was, but he knew where he was. But this is the most powerful part. Jesus even knew what he had been thinking about. Verse number 49 reads, Then Nathanael declared, O Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. But listen to Jesus' Jesus reply. You believe, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you shall see greater things than that. For I tell you, you shall see heaven open, And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So under the fig tree, Nathaniel had been meditating on this very passage of Jacob's dream. And what was the point that Jesus was making to to Nathaniel? Nathaniel, I am the stairway of Jacob's dream. I am the stairway. And as Jesus was later to say, John 14, verse verse number 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Oh, Nathaniel, you're going to see even greater things than you've ever seen before because I am the stairway of Jacob's dream. And this is my prayer over you today in Jesus' name, that whenever people come, into this house where God's people are meeting and maybe they're full of problems and questions and emptiness and turmoil and grief and shame and pain. May they encounter the revelation of God's presence through our worship and praise and may that lead them to the foot of the stairway who is Jesus because there is only one way that people can come to God. There is only one way that we can appropriate the sacrifice for our sin. There is only one mediator between God and humankind. There is only one way to heaven and his name is Jesus and he is the foot of the stairway. So my declaration today is this. May every person who walks into the gathering of God's people in Church Unlimited meet the foot of the stairway and let every person who calls this church their home church, may they be filled with a supernatural fire and a supernatural zeal by the Spirit of God to tell others about who Jesus is. May everyone in this local church be filled with a burden for lost people and a passion to, to and a passion to disciple them in Jesus' name. May your 
private and corporate gatherings reveal Jesus. May Jesus be preached. May Jesus be encountered. May Jesus be manifest. May Jesus be glorified. May Jesus transform people's lives. May Jesus heal sick bodies. May Jesus deliver people from demonic oppression. May Jesus be seen in our love and felt by our touch and heard in our voices. Let this house of God be filled with the revelation of Jesus. So Jacob, thank you. You're making more noise than my dog did. That's great. Thank you. So the house of God is a place of revelation of God's presence, a place of the revelation of the person of Jesus, but also it was a place of the revelation of the ministry of angels, a place of the revelation of the ministry of angels. Now remember in Jacob's dream, he saw angels ascending and descending. And Jesus is not only the way to God, but it's through Jesus that we receive from God. The angels were ascending and descending. Friends, today I believe in angels and they're in this meeting right now and they're all about us. And I get very disturbed when Christian people say, oh, I saw demons dancing on the platform and I saw demons in the church and I saw demons even in other Christians. And any doctrine that puts fear into your heart is not from God. But who or what are the angels? According to Hebrews 1, verse number 14, angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of salvation. And we have angels that guard our life. Psalm 91.11 says, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Angels are God's means to watch over, protect and minister to our lives. So in the house of God, not only do we find Jesus, who is the foot of the stairway, but because of him, he sends the angels down to look after us and to minister to our lives. Many, many years ago, before I knew Tark, and we both had dark hair, but it was many years ago, I was a youth pastor in about the late 1980s. 80s I think it was when when I was a youth pastor we had a whole bunch of young people get saved out of the occult it was an amazing time and because of what these kids were involved with many of them had had had, had demonic stuff operating in their life and we regularly had to exercise them not push-ups I mean cast demons out well one day we had one one of the young guys and he's lying on the floor and, and we're driving a demon out that had been really oppressing him and I turned around And I was walking away praying. This young man with supernatural strength picked up a solid wooden chair while he was lying down. He picked up a solid wooden chair, very heavy, and he threw it right at me. And this, this, this chair went flying through the air and within a few in, in, in inches just fell away to the side all of a sudden. And, and my friends were just going, whoa, we've never seen anything like this before. It was like the demon said, I'm going to get this guy. But the angel said, you are not going to touch this man of God. And the thing just fell harmlessly to the side. 
And this is my, my declaration for you here today. Even though you may have had an horrific week and you may feel so confused and you may feel so disoriented, when you come into the house of God, may you enter into worship. And then may you come to Jesus, who is the foot of the ladder. And I want to say, friends, then God sends His angels down to minister to our lives. And sometimes it'll be through the preacher. Sometimes it'll be through a prophecy. Sometimes it'll be through through the encouragement of a fellow believer. But the angels come down and they minister to our soul and we feel different because God has touched our life in an amazing way. And I want to say, friends, what is the good of coming to church if we go home the same way that we have come? If you come to a building, that is what happens. You will leave exactly the same way. If we do not enter into worship and praise, we will leave exactly the same way. If we do not come to and through Jesus, we will leave exactly the same way. Oh, but when you come into a building that's full of the people of God and the presence of God and is centered on Jesus, you will never be the same again. And I want to say, friends, this is the house of God. Now, importantly, we do not seek angels. We do not worship angels. We do not glorify angels at all, nor do we focus on angels. We focus on Jesus who sends the angels. What happens here in the unseen realm, we we do not know and do not need to know. All we need to know is that they are ministering spirits, but it's the Lord who sends them, and it's His power and His grace and His presence that touches our life. We do not focus on angels angels. Today, we focus on Jesus. We glorify Jesus. We lift up the name of Jesus. We honour the name of Jesus. And as we do, something invisible happens in this place. I believe in the ministry of angels. So Jacob had a revelation of the presence of God, of the person of Jesus, of the ministry of angels. But he also had a revelation of God's purpose for his life. Maybe you're here today and you need guidance. You need God to speak to you. You are in the right place. The house of God is the place to get guidance from God about your life. Now, Jacob was a self-consumed rascal. There was only one person in Jacob's life, and that was Jacob. He didn't deserve a revelation at all, but this is one of the mysteries of God's purposes. Listen to this. God didn't choose you on the basis of what you are now, but on the basis of what you will become in Him. And some of you disqualify yourself because you look at how you are now and you don't realize God by His Spirit is relentlessly at work inside of you and the power that raised Jesus from the dead and brought the universe into existence is within you. And He's going to keep changing you and going to keep working with you and revealing to you what He wants to do in and through you. So God gave a revelation to the last person that you would imagine in the last place that you you would imagine, which is in the middle of a desert. Now, Jacob has longed for spiritual, spiritual things, but he's gone about them the wrong way. Nevertheless, the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. In other words, even though you've been naughty and you've done the wrong thing, I am your God. Jacob had deceptively sought the inheritance of the firstborn. And yet now the Lord says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. He's not even married. And yet God says, verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and east and north and south. He's done 
nothing but rip people off his whole life. And yet God says, uh, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. He's alone. He's vulnerable and he's uncertain about the future. And yet, yet God says, and maybe you're after some guidance today. Listen to this. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised. And may this, this reality strike our lives today. We may feel like the last person on earth to whom Jesus could and would love. And maybe like Jacob, we've been in the wrong places at the wrong time. But Jesus in his mercy has touched our lives. And we too become aware like Jacob through Jesus that our life is a life of destiny. That God has plans and purposes for us in Christ Jesus. That we too, like Jacob, through Jesus, have an inheritance that is eternal. That we too, like Jacob, through Jesus, are never alone. He is always with us. That we too, like Jacob, through Jesus, have the promise of fruitfulness and blessing and divine presence and protection and direction until the very end of the age. May we today understand and embrace that God will give us all the grace and the power that we need to do what he's called and willed that he would do with our lives. So the house of God is a place of revelation of God's presence, of Jesus, of angels, and his purposes for our life. But according to this passage, what else do we discover is a characteristic of the house of God? Number three. Number three, the house of God is a place of unity. And this is something the Spirit of God is saying all across the world at the moment. The house of God is a place of unity. In verse number 22, we read that Jacob said, And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. So Jacob referred to the house of God as one stone. What is the spiritual significance of this? One of the New Testament pictures of the church is the body of Christ. The church is a part of Christ. And as believers, we are in Christ, and Christ is inside of us. Listen to what, what, what Peter wrote. One, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, have been built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What was Peter trying to say? Friends, before we knew Jesus, we were dead stones, but we were touched by the living stone who is Jesus, and we became part of Him. The very life of Christ came into this dead stone, so that now with us, He is building a living temple made of living stones, but importantly, we have been made alive, not to just do our own independent thing, but to be part of His house, His temple this living body and even though we are individual stones we are called to be one and the New Testament church is to be one body I would suggest today that you are not a member of this church you are a limb of this church it is not membership 
It is limbship. And when you are committed, you are absolutely, you're attached to this body. It is part of you. It's like marriage. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, till death do us part. That we are part of this church's life. We are part of its ministry. We are part of its future. As long as we breathe, we are 1,000% committed to this body where God has attached us. And may we foster unity and may we protect unity. On the screen behind me will be a picture in a moment of a doll. And many years ago, we had a British preacher in our church in Melbourne and he stood up and he began to talk about how great it is. Hello, have you got the doll? Can you bring the doll up there, the picture? Is he there? Oh, she's there. Great. Thank you. So he stood up and he began to talk about how great it is to be in your church. And he had a doll in one hand and he had a pair of scissors in the other. While he began to talk, he suddenly cut off the arm of the doll. And you could see people just shifting in their seat like, what is this guy doing? But he made no reference to the doll at all. And a little bit later, he was having some banter between the Poms and, and Aussies. And a little bit later, while he's talking, he cuts off a leg of the doll. And I could hear people gasping and people shifting in their seat, just a little bit uncomfortable about what he's doing. Then a little bit later, without any reference to the doll at all, he gets the scissors and he cuts off the head of the doll. And by now you can see people really uncomfortable with, with, with what he's doing. Then he stopped and said, and he held up the doll and he said, some of you are more concerned about this doll than you are with the body of Christ that is being ripped apart by division right now. He said, so I want to talk to you about unity. And he had everybody's attention from, from that moment. And friends, in churches, there are many things that, that divide us. You know, sometimes we, we, got, we have arguments over doctrines and tenets and vaccines and mandates and all of those things. Rather than focus upon the things that divide us, why don't we focus upon the things that unite us? For example, we are all purchased by the same blood of Jesus. We are indwelt by the same spirit of Jesus. And we are alive today because of him. Remembering also that true New Testament church is not great meetings, but the authenticity of our relationships. True New Testament church is not just gathering together to have a wonderful time, but it's the community and the connection that we have with one another. And there is a strong responsibility in Scripture to be committed one to the other. Have a think about all the one another's in the Word of God. Therefore, we have a responsibility today to preserve and protect our unity and oneness. And I caution you today in Jesus' name to guard against division and divisive people. But watch out for and watch over each other's lives. Serve and exercise your gifts. Disciple the young and restore the strays. Let's go after the one that has wandered away and seek to bring them back in Jesus' name. Jesus once looked down through the centuries of time and he prayed for, for his disciples and he prayed for all of us who would believe in him and listen to his prayer. John 17, verse number 21 reads that Jesus prayed, Oh, let all of them be, be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one as we are one. May they be brought to complete unity. And here is my, de my declaration today. May the individual people who are called and 
joined by God to this house be committed to him and to his purpose and to his cause. May there be an unshakable and uncompromising unity and may we fearlessly and fervently protect our unity. May we in the words of Jesus be one even as he is one so that as this church gets bigger, it gets smaller, that there would be such a tangible love that you would have for one another that people in society around you would say, we have never seen love like I see in that house, that house of God. And may this unity be demonstrated by us supporting and encouraging and giving and praying and enjoying and celebrating and crying and laughing and doing life together. This is God's intention for his house. And number four, the last one, what is the house of God? Number four, the house of God is a place of anointing. The house of God is a place of anointing. Verse 18 reads, Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. In Scripture, oil is a symbol for the work and the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the first reference in the Bible to oil being poured out as, as in terms of consecration, something being set apart for a divine purpose. And the symbolism for us is powerful because as far as the house of God is concerned, the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. We will never be what God has called us to do or do what God has called us to do without the mighty fullness of the Holy Spirit. We can have great buildings and structures and programs, but without the Spirit, they are just a building, a structure or a program. For example, the Old Testament tabernacle was perfect in every sense. It was built according to the pattern that God had given. But it wasn't the house of God until oil was poured all, all, all over it. Or Jesus, divine conception, supernatural birth. But it wasn't until that day that the heaven opened and the Spirit descended on him like a dove that he received empowerment for, for ministry. And Acts 10 verse number 38 reads how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went about doing good and healing all those who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. I don't know about you friends, we need a fresh touch of the Spirit of God. Today we need a renewal, we need a revival, we need a fresh infilling, we need the sacred oil, we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives and so my declaration and my prayer today is this, may this church know a unique and special outpouring of the Holy Spirit to touch this city and nation and nations. May the empowering of the Holy Spirit energize each and every person in this place. May this house be filled with healing power, anointed preaching, anointed worship, empowered witnessing, and let everyone in this house rise in the anointing of their God-given place in Jesus' name. Let me conclude. In, in summary today, because I've lost, lost track of the time and, uh, you know, the fear of spiders is arachnophobia. The spirit, fear of closed spaces is uh, claustrophobia. The fear of Pastor Tark is wisdom. So <laughs> I'm going I'm to conclude. So what, 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 what we've asked the question today, well, what is the house of God? Number one, the house of God was any place where we meet with him and he meets with us. Number two. The house of God is a place of revelation, 
a revelation of the presence of God. And may we say today, oh God, you are in this place. A place of the revelation of the person of Jesus. It's all about him. A place of the revelation of the ministry of angels. And they have been touching people through our worship and touching people's lives through uh, the ministry today. And a revelation of God's purposes for our life. And the house of God, thanks, thanks guys, you can come. The house of God is a place of unity. And I call you today in Jesus' name to be one, even as he is one. There's been a lot of stuff happened the last couple of years, but this is a time to come together in Jesus' name, to be one stone in perfect unity before him. And the last one, the house of God is to be a place of anointing where the Spirit is poured out upon our lives.